Beloved, the Lord speaks to us this evening from the book of Job, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Uh, before I, I, I uh, read it, I'm thinking to mention something in case I forget. I didn't remember to put it in my notes, but my Hebrew professor, uh, Dr. C.J. Williams, an Old Testament professor, he said, uh, and, I, and I, I'm, I know he has a book on Job as a type of Christ, and he actually says that uh, Job is really the greatest type of Christ in the entire Old Testament. So keep that in view. You think of Isaiah 53. Job is the greatest type of Christ. And uh, these are a few thoughts that I'm remembering didn't come to the sermon notes. But keep in mind, Paul says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And so as the Lord calls upon you to suffer for him in the kingdom, including physical sufferings you may bear as he's enduring, as he says the words we'll speak tonight, uh, we remember what our hope is. It is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and his raising us up from the dead, that we would never even be possible to suffer in our soul or in our body anymore. Again, Job 19, verses 25 to 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. May the Lord bless us with the Christian hope as we give ourselves to the scripture and our study of the doctrine of the resurrection this evening. As we come to this text and we study the resurrection, I think it's helpful to remember doubting Thomas at the end of John's gospel. He hadn't seen Christ like some of the others, and he says, I won't believe it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it, even if I were to put my fingers, or I, I need to put my fingers in his hands and feet where the holes are to, to, to see that it's actually Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus prepared them in the Gospels. Christ will be crucified, died, buried on the third day. He'll rise again. But uh, Thomas is doubting in John chapter 20. And then Jesus appears to him and he says, touch me. Put your fingers in my hands, my feet. Put them in my side where the wounds are. See that I am here. I am physical. I'm a body. I'm not a ghost. And he says, be not doubting, but believing. And of course, what is Thomas's beautiful response? My Lord and my God. But the reason we think of that is Thomas himself, one of the apostles, is doubting that Christ has risen from the dead. And the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection is uh, very much brought into uh, doubt. People want to suggest it's a ridiculous idea. And we need to be encouraged that it is absolutely true. He says, Thomas, look, here I am. Touch me. Touch my wounds. Same, same hands and feet that were nailed to the cross. Here they are. Look at my wounds. It's me. I am not a ghost. And uh, similarly, in the Gospel of Luke 24... I'm not a ghost. A spirit doesn't have flesh 
hands, as you see that I have. And then he says, do you have any fish? You got, any, you got anything to eat? And they got some fish and he ate in their presence just to show. I mean, a, a spirit, a ghost doesn't pick up and eat fish. Uh, right? There's no physicality in that kind of sense. And so he proves in both of those examples at the end of the Gospels, I am risen from the dead. Well, Job has reason to be doubting what's going to happen to his body. Job has reason to be doubting the end of all things. I mean, look at what has happened to his body. Look at verse 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Notice in the italics, worms and body isn't actually in the Hebrew. Body is certainly implied. Uh, my recollection of looking at the Hebrew uh, for this is it had the idea of the skin being torn off the body kind of ripped off the body. There's this idea of my skin is fading away, being ripped off. This idea of death, what happens at death. And he's experiencing that. He's experiencing that really with his flesh. And he's, I think he's preparing perhaps to die. Doesn't know what's going to happen with this. Look back at chapter 2. Let's, let's see how much physical suffering in his body is happening here as the backdrop for this hoping in the resurrection for his comfort later on. Uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Now remember in chapter 1, Job is very wealthy. He has many children. He's a very righteous man. He actually makes sacrifices on behalf of his children just in case uh, they may be doing something. You know, it's just preventative. It's trying to keep a covering over his children. He's, he's a very godly man, very concerned for his children. But Satan says, well, he's only praising you because he's got it so good. Take everything away. Give him a hard life. He won't praise you anymore. By the way, what does he say elsewhere? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him or yet will I praise him. So yes, he does, though he does struggle at times and God has to rebuke him a little bit in the end. He mostly praises the Lord and waits on him, but he is crying out what is going on. Notice many of his children die in chapter 1. But he's trusting the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's an amazing example to us. But then Satan says, alright, let's take it closer to home. Let me have his body. Let me make him suffer tremendously in his body. Then let's see what he does. He won't praise you. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a posture to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. And his skin is so bad, he's like scraping off stuff. It's horrible. And to make it worse... When he probably feels like dying from his bodily suffering that feels like death itself, his wife, who should be a comfort to him, 
says this in verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Can you imagine hearing those words from your helpmate? When you might be considering, maybe I'll end it. This is unbelievable. This is his situation. This is what he's wrestling with. And then he has his quote-unquote friends, other than Elihu, who come to his aid and basically express, you must have done something to deserve this. That's pretty much the whole discussion back and forth, right? So, I mean, the anguish of his soul, you can see again all the typology of Christ here. Although Christ, of course, was perfect and deserved nothing like this. But talk about facing death and despair. He is utterly overwhelmed and wrestling with the question, why, throughout the book. And remember, as we've considered at other times, God does not answer that question. And he doesn't have to. Other than to remember, as he tells Paul, my strength is seen in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. It's for his glory. All things are for his glory. While God doesn't answer the question why, he does take Job through Satan's attack and he gives him resolve in the midst of his bodily suffering with the absolutely sure hope of his resurrection in his Redeemer. Job did recover from this and many things were added back double to him in the end. But of course, he later died as we all do and so his hope remained the bodily resurrection the same is true for we Christians us Christians the bodily resurrection this is our hope this is our only hope if we don't have a resurrection what is the point of all this Though the bodies of God's people cannot escape decay and death in this life, they will be raised into glorious, eternal life by the resurrected Jesus on the last great day. I give that to you as the main idea of our text in its context. I repeat, though the bodies of God's people cannot escape decay and death in this life, they will be raised into glorious eternal life by the resurrected Jesus on the last great day. Beloved, this is your hope for you. This is your hope for comfort for those who have gone before you in Christ. Though Job is perplexed about his suffering body, he knows he will not be dead forever. He will stand in Christ's presence on the last day with his own eyeballs. Verse 27, back in chapter 19, back to chapter 19 of Job, verse 27. Whom I shall see. He's referring to the Redeemer in verse 25. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold. And not another, though my reins be consumed within me, though my flesh is tearing right off my bone. 
I think I'm probably dying. I, mean, I don't know that we necessarily understand. No, I mean, I think we do understand by all the questioning and trying to figure this out. I don't think he knows about this conversation between God and Satan. All he knows is it looks like I'm dying and I'm suffering big time. And my wife's telling me to die, to curse God and just die and get it over with. But his hope is in, at some point, I'm going to stand in this body, resurrected. With my own eyes, I will see my risen Savior, Jesus Christ, when he comes back on the last day, raising the living and the dead, and bringing the bodies of his people into his Father's house to enjoy forevermore with all the joy to have there. He knows he will eat at the great supper of the Lamb. With the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He knows the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead. He knows that Jesus will raise the dead himself by his own voice. The gospels tell us. He will speak and every one of history will be raised from the dead to, for the judgment. And his sheep, his Christians, to come into heaven with their new spiritual bodies. This is his only hope in the end of things. And beloved, it's our only hope. And it, it's a true hope. It's a strong hope that will not disappoint an anchor for the soul because Jesus surely will be standing on the earth then. Verse 25, for I know, you see the certainty of it. Now remember the state he's in as he says this and that he has the state of mind to be thinking about this in the state that he's in physically. And of course, emotionally, mentally with all that, I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And in that sense, he comes down to stand and make judgment. We know from Revelation, there's the vision given that he's already standing with one foot on the ocean and one foot on the land. He is over it all already. And this is the confidence and certainty for the Christian. He's talking about the hope of the resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself will be raised from the dead. Matthew Henry says of the text these words. Here is much both of Christ and heaven in these verses. Job was taught of God to believe in a living redeemer and to look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. For of these, doubtless, he must be understood to speak. These were the things he comforted himself with. The expectation of and not a deliverance from his trouble or a revival of his happiness in this world. He believes the glory of the Redeemer and his own interest in him. His ultimate hope and comfort is at some point I'll never know what this is like again. At some point. Maybe I get healed, maybe I don't, but at some point I'll be healed eternally. I'll be in a new body in the resurrection, and it'll never be an experience, and it'll never be any concern. And by the way, in contrast, those in hell, it'll be their eternal experience. Suffering of body and soul. But the Christian, as is often said, the only hell you know is right now. That's it. And I love, I think it's Thomas Watson that said, uh, at, our, at our death, it's the funeral of death for us. And then the resurrection. 
Because Jesus is most certainly already resurrected, we have certainty in our resurrection, the hope that will not disappoint. As Charles Spurgeon says, as is in your bulletin today, the resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. And that's the truth. And we don't need extra scriptural uh, references to tell us this truth. But there's plenty of evidence. But as we sang in Psalm 16, one of my favorite uh, scriptures to be thinking about with the resurrection. And you can go back and, and hear the preaching of Acts 2, preaching Acts, Psalm 16. But Peter, remember in Acts chapter 2, he's preaching to the godly Jews all in town for the Passover. And he's preaching to them that they would be saved, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's quoting much of Psalm 16 that says, my soul shall not be held down in the grave in hell. It's speaking of the resurrection that I'll be freed from the grave. And my flesh, therefore, waits in confidence. This is David speaking. And Peter says it's David speaking. But Peter says David knows he's not talking about himself. David knows he's a prophet. And he knows he's speaking about Jesus Christ. And he knows he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then here's the thing. Peter says to all these people. You have all seen and know that Jesus is raised from the dead. Therefore... He is the Messiah of Psalm 16, because that's what's said about the Messiah. But isn't that the amazing thing? He's not trying to prove the resurrection. He's trying to prove Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, by virtue of the fact that he has lived out Psalm 16 and raising himself from the dead. Therefore, what's a given for everyone there, they have seen the resurrection of Jesus. That's the basis of his argument. Because of that, you all know he's risen from the dead. You know this. You are witnesses of this. He's the Messiah. But see, the resurrection is a given. By the way, if you go back to the beginning of Acts, just like the beginning of Luke, because Acts is actually part two of Luke. Luke wrote Luke and the book of Acts. And you see how common they are, how the commonalities, especially at the beginning. These things we have carefully put together from eyewitnesses of all these things that you might know these things are true. We says that opening acts as well. Peter, Peter later quoting said, you all know you've seen Jesus risen from the dead. The resurrection is a fact. Mark 12, 18 to 27. We won't turn there, but thank you for letting me read it a second time this week. We read it last week. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but they pretend they try to trick Jesus at the resurrection. And they think they're making an argument to fool him and make a fool of him to prove there is no resurrection. And he basically says, you fools. You don't know the scripture or the power of God. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. When they are risen, when the dead shall rise, he speaks of it as a fact. He confirms it is absolutely true. And to doubt it and question it is foolishness. Now, they thought they were pretty smart, as do many who, who uh, try to make the resurrection sound foolish today. And Jesus says, you are the ones who are foolish. Revelation speaks of a first death. And a second death, the first death being the spiritual death, born dead, Ephesians 2, born in Adam and Eve fallen, original sin. 
It also speaks of a second death that will be the eternal death in hell for those who are not Christians. It also speaks of a first resurrection. That is the resurrection of the souls of Christians as they are made born again and alive in Christ. And it speaks of a second resurrection when we are raised from the grave, when we are raised the last great day and we live forever. Because why? Because you have the first resurrection, you will have the second resurrection in Christ. And so you'll never have the second death. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, so will Christians be raised from the dead. Bodily resurrection. The sad thing is, this is something that often has to be asked of uh, men candidating for the ministry too often these days. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection? Because it's been denied by too much uh, liberal unbelief over the years. We're affirming it here tonight, beloved. And Job, again, is a type of the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, and Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus dying. It's all about his crucifixion, taking on our sins to die for us and pay for our sins. But Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant doesn't end with that. Then... There is a rejoicing, and he is given a great portion. There is the resurrection and celebration for his reward. Just like Psalm 22, all of prophesying, especially about Christ. We sang much of it this morning during the Lord's Supper. Remember, the first third of Psalm 22 is largely about the mental agony Jesus suffers on the cross to pay for hell of what will be our eternal mental agony. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The second third of Psalm 22 is largely about his physical sufferings on the cross. That would be our bodily suffering in hell forever, if not for him taking it upon himself as eternal God to pay for it in a moment for our breaking God's laws and sinning. Such as the prophecy of they pierced my hands and feet in Psalm 22. But then remember the last third of Psalm 22 is a triumphant rejoicing and victory over it all. We know from the writer of Hebrews that uh, Jesus is the one speaking in those last verses, singing in the congregation great, speaking of how we will all inherit the earth and we'll have we'll be satisfied. That's not something he's saying dead. It's something he's saying alive in our humanity, body and soul, sitting on God's right hand in heaven. Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. But you go back earlier, John six verses forty and forty four. And this is, this is Jesus speaking still. And this is the will of him, that is the Father, that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's what Job is saying. I know this is true. I know I'll see him. I know I'll see him at the last day. The end of history. When Christ returns in his glory, he will raise me up. 
No man can come to me, Christ says, except the Father which hath sent me to draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Says it twice close together. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Psalm 17, verse 15. You can sing this and say it uh, as your testimony alongside Job. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. What is Christ's likeness? A perfect human body and soul. So Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses uh, 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. I want to share with you a little nugget. If you might remember Pastor Doug Duma before he was a pastor, he preached here years ago, our, our Appalachian hiking ministry friend who was taking some of the Pacific crest under his feet to get a feel for it as he was preparing for these things. He did a lot over in Labrie, uh, Francis Schaefer's place too, but he preached here many years ago and I was so thankful for this insight because at that time it was particularly helpful for me. If you look ahead, and he was preaching in the area, I believe, of 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says what? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. He says, and what is that hope? And he brought us back to this verse, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is the hope to be ready to give an answer for? The resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. That's what we want to particularly be ready to speak about to people. So take some notes tonight. <laughs> be ready to talk about the hope and bring those notes back to you when you need them. Well, no surprise, I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right after Romans in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beloved, it's a long chapter. We've looked at it before at other times. One time we had a sermon on the very last verse as a request for Elder Renner, I believe, but the whole context led to it. And I'm just going to let pre uh, Paul preach to us. This is a particularly important chapter about the, re the resurrection. And it is true. And if it wasn't true, you and I, we get, what's the point of being here? It's all a joke. But he's saying that rhetorically to say, but it is true. <laughs> So you have a hope that can't disappoint. And uh, I wanted you to notice in the first three or four verses, it talks about, uh, he summarizes the gospel. If you want a place in the scripture to say, what's the gospel? John 3.16 is a good one, of course. Uh, but here's a place where he says, according to the scriptures, and he's summarizing the gospel. Notice the resurrection from the dead is one of the main things he talks about as, according to the scriptures, and his reference is the Old Testament. And it's the basic summary of the gospel. 
Here now, 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection, so that you do not doubt, and you have certain hope in your suffering. Moreover, my brethren, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas then of the twelve after that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, or so we preach, and so ye believed. Now... If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. 
Now, though that's figurative, beloved, remember, he is sitting on his throne in heaven with human feet, a human body and a human soul as your savior, the lamb of God, as your high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So while that's kind of a figurative comment in a sense, he is there with real feet raised from the dead. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the matter of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Before I continue, I was going to save this for some time, but it, it's a good place to share it. Uh, Rocking one of the babies, I heard a sermon today by, um, oh, I always struggle with his name. He's with Ligonier. Steve is his first name. Forgive me, Pastor Steve. But he said this. Thinking of that verse or actually text similar to it, if you lay down with the dogs, you wake up with the fleas. And frankly, beloved, if you lay down with the dying dogs, you don't wake up. Other than to be judged and sent to die forever in hell. Verse 34. Steve Lawson. <laughs> I don't know why I always struggle live. I don't struggle otherwise. Steve Lawson. Verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, well, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And there is a spiritual body. 
And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because the resurrection is true in Christ and thus for you. Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in entertaining mockery of the resurrection as if it's some silly, childish hope. Well, let us hope like children in the kingdom of heaven. It sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. And it's real. And it's true for you, Christian. And it's your hope. But I want to say this. Just as, ja uh, excuse me, just as Jesus let Lazarus' body die. Remember, he actually waited four days. Make sure he was good as dead and smelly. 
make sure everybody knew he was dead. He did that so he could show his power and glory in raising him from the dead. John 11. Similarly, Jesus will let you lie in the grave for a time so that he will raise you up in victory from it. And this is why you celebrate the Christian Sabbath. That is the first day of the week. That is the Lord's Day. Why? Because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And praise the Lord that you do not have to wait until next spring to rejoice in the resurrection. But you get to celebrate it 52 Lord's Days a year. Westminster Larger Catechism number 87. What are we to believe concerning the resurrection? We are to believe that at the last day there shall be a general resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust, when they that are then found alive shall in a moment be changed. And the selfsame bodies of the dead which were laid in the grave, being then again united to their souls forever, shall be raised up by the power of Christ. The bodies of the just by the spirit of Christ and by virtue of his resurrection as their head shall be raised in power, spiritual, incorruptible, and made like to his glorious body. In the meantime... Satan is looking to make you suffer in the body and make you curse God. And others will say, why don't you just do that and die already and get it over with? And he will make you afraid in your physical suffering. And he will make you afraid. He will make you afraid of your body, body expiring, which what some of us have witnessed firsthand, the death growl, our last breath. But when you give up the ghost, you will be with Jesus in paradise, who said, quoting the Psalms, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And on the last great day, he will raise you from the dead as he raised himself from the dead in your new spiritual bodies, free from sin and its effects, singing praises, his praises, out of that same body again. Not whispering, not the last, but forever breathing in and out and praising him robustly. I know that my Redeemer lives. I see my Redeemer with my own eyes standing before me. Strong and healthy and holy and made whole. Walking and leaping and praising God. You can be absolutely certain of it, beloved. And so like Job, know you shall stand and see your living Redeemer. That is the message for you this evening from the text.
Let me read that text for us once more. Job 19, 25 to 27. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I know that my Redeemer liveth, he will stand at the last day, and I know that I shall see him for myself with my own eyes, standing in my own resurrected flesh. Praise the Lord. And so this is your testimony, Christian. Don't let anyone take it away from you. Hold on to it and be ready to give an answer about it to others. The hope you have is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's a powerful witness to remember to bring to everyone. At the end of the day, my friend, you are going to be in the ground or under the ocean or burned up. You are going to be dead, my friend. And so will I. But I hope, my friend, that you'll be able to say what Job does and what I can say. I know I shall stand at the latter day. And in my body at the resurrection, I will see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection, the way and the life. Beloved, you shall stand and see your living Redeemer. Keep that with you. If the Lord allows you long life or... You find yourself in a place where you know your life is soon to end and your body is telling you that, whether young or old, you keep these words close to your heart. You keep them in your mouth. You keep them at your bedside. And you keep focusing on the resurrection. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you. That you are raised from the dead, you are risen indeed, and we celebrate it on this, the Lord's Day. And we look forward to our own resurrection in you, the first fruits of our own resurrection. You are the way, the truth, the life. You are the resurrection. You rose yourself from the dead, you will raise everyone in history by simply speaking. But we thank you that by the Holy Spirit speaking inside us, you have awakened us. You have risen us from the dead already. We who were dead, according to Ephesians 2, and have given us life. And so we have that experience of abundant joy already, but also the hope of eternal life with our new spiritual bodies in the new heavens and earth where you will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of our Lord is of his Christ. We lift up your name and praise you. And pray you help us through our suffering and by this hope that we would never curse you. And we would live and know even when we die, we live and our bodies shall be raised unto eternal life. We thank you and praise you and pray you keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who has promised, we who believe in him, that though we die, we shall live and he shall raise us. Raise our bodies from the dead. We pray, thank you. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all your people said.